All right, if you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me to 1 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter 29. 1 Chronicles chapter 29. 1 Chronicles becomes, comes before 2 Chronicles. Um, so if you're having trouble finding them, just go to a table of contents. You can turn there in your Bible or on your device or that kind of thing. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Holy Father, we thank you so much for your love, your grace, your mercy. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done in our hearts and lives. Thank you for what you've given to us. We do praise you for Verna, Lord, and the extraordinary ways in which you use her and the vision that you've given to her and for Dennis and her family, Lord. God, we pray in the name of your son that you'll help all of us to steward our lives to give back to you what you have wonderfully placed in our hands. Now, Lord God, speak to us as we talk about cultivating a generous heart. Pray that you'll just work in a great way. We love you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This is the third and the final segment in our series entitled Faithful and Free. It's on stewardship. I wasn't here last week, but I thank the Lord for Josh and the message that he gave last week. I was actually, a friend of mine uh, had been asking me to come for quite a while, and I said, yes, uh, uh, some of you may know who he is. He's impacted our church, impacted our leaders with some of his writing, just an incredible uh, servant of the Lord. His name is J.D. Greer, and I spoke up at the Summit Church over the weekend there, and just what a, what a wonderful time that was. But, uh, but we're in this series on stewardship, stewardship. As I've been saying all along, unfortunately, when we think stewardship, we think money. That's the first place we go to, our default mode. We talk about money, and then all of a sudden we tense up when we talk about that. But it can be argued that the entire Bible is, from an applicational perspective, is about stewardship. It's about stewardship. It's 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 about managing what God has placed in our hands. And our stewardship doesn't begin with our checkbook or our accounts. That's not where stewardship starts. It doesn't begin with our abilities or talents. That's not where it starts. The first place that stewardship starts is our lives. We have to answer the questions, whose life is it? Whose life is it? Who does it belong to? And so the very first place you start when you talk about stewardship is not up at this level because this stuff is just manifestations of a basic decision. And so when you talk about stewardship, the first place that you have to go to is that you got to make the life-altering decision to give your life. To give up your life. Take your hands off your life. Don't a la carte it. Don't, don't incrementalize it. Uh, take your hands off your life. And that's the first place to start. Then the second message I gave uh, was on leveraging his resources And that's on purpose. Uh, uh, Stewards are not proprietors. We own categorically nothing. Nothing we own. We don't own anything. And so we, we leverage. God expects us to leverage and use what he's placed in our hands. Time, talents, treasure, opportunities. All of that, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, is to be leveraged and used for the advancement of his kingdom. And we walk through that whole parable of the talents. Now today, I want to talk about this whole issue of cultivating a generous heart. A generous heart. Giving is not so much the issue in the Bible, but generosity is. 
Generosity is, is the issue. And there is a parallel. If we're going to be Christ-like and represent who he is, and you all say more about this in the message, then we need to let go of what he places in our hands. I'm always moved uh, by uh, uh, the story of John Wesley and how he handled money, what his convictions were. And I'm getting ready to read a story to you here, and uh, a little bit of a disclaimer. Uh, as I read this story, there is a radical, there's a radical perspective that John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, had about money. And I, I don't necessarily think that this is for all of us. All of us have different convictions here, but I don't want to walk it back too much. Because I think at the core of this story is a very, very important point about lifestyle and about choices and about the power that money can have. At the very beginning of this story, there's this quotation. Wesley himself said that money never stays with me. It would burn me if it did. I throw it out of my hands as soon as possible, lest it should find its way into my heart. Uh, There are powerful forces surrounding money. Consider the following story about John Wesley, 1703 to 1791. His perspective was changed as a result of something that happened to him while at Oxford. Wesley had just finished buying some pictures for his room when one of the chambermaids came to his door. It was a winter day and he noticed that she had only a thin linen gown to wear for protection against the cold. He reached into his pocket to give her some money for a coat and found he had little left. It struck him that the Lord was not pleased with how he had spent his money. He asked himself, will thy master say, well done, good and faithful steward? Thou hast adorned thy walls with the money that might have screened this poor creature from the cold. O justice, O mercy, are not these pictures the blood of this poor maid? Perhaps as a result of this incident in 1731, Wesley began to limit his expenses so he would have more money to give to the poor. He records that one year his income was 30 pounds and his living expenses 28 pounds. So he had two pounds to give away. The next year, his income doubled, but he still lived on 28 pounds and gave 32 pounds away. In the third year, his income jumped to 90 pounds. Again, he lived on 28 pounds, giving 62 pounds away. The fourth year, he made 120 pounds, living again on 28 pounds and gave 92 pounds to the poor. Wesley preached that Christians should not merely tithe, but give away all extra income once the family and creditors were taken care of. He believed that with increasing income, the Christian standard of giving should increase, not his standard of living. He began this practice at Oxford and he continued it throughout his life. Even when his income rose into the thousands of pounds, he lived simply and quickly gave his surplus money away. One year, his income was slightly over 1,400 pounds. He gave away all save 30 pounds. He was afraid of laying up treasures on earth, so the money went out in charity as quickly as it came in. He reports that he never had as much as 100 pounds at one time. When he died in 1791, the only money mentioned in his will 
was the miscellaneous coins to be found in his pockets and dresser drawers. Most of the 30,000 pounds he had earned in his lifetime had been given away. As Wesley said, I cannot help leaving my books behind me whenever God calls me hence. But in every other respect, my own hands will be my executors. John Wesley's royalties at one time gave him what today would be an annual income of $160,000. Yet he lived like someone today might at an income of $20,000. Sound radical? Why? Isn't it perfectly in keeping with scripture? Your plenty will supply what they need. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. Perhaps you'll never be as radical as Wesley. I'm certainly not. But this example inspires me and makes me reevaluate my lifestyle and giving. Now, I'm, I'm not that way. I don't, I, you know, and I think you have to be careful of getting granular about exactly what he did. Um, I think we, we're free to enjoy life. That's true. But I also think we need to take a serious look about how we're using the resources in our hands. We, we look at this, and I'm reminded of something that uh, last week while I was speaking up at Summit Church, at the end of this messages, at the end of the service, they take their offering, and just before they take the offering, flashed on the screen is this definition of generosity, and here it is. Generosity means to live sufficiently and to give extravagantly. That's what generosity means. Now, there's a lot of wiggle room in terms of what sufficiently is. It's a relative expression. And we don't tell people what sufficiently is. I mean, this, what I'm wearing today, I'd be a hypocrite. I didn't exactly buy this suit at Walmart, okay? And so, you know, but at the same time, we have to, we have to, we have to understand what is sufficient. In other words, secondly, I think every Christian needs to make a critical decision. I really believe this. And Karen and I, years ago, made this decision. The critical decision is this. How much is enough? How much is enough? I think too many of us live like, well, I just need to make more. I need more. I need more. I need more. But the question is, how much is enough? How much is enough? Now, I'm not suggesting that all of us cap our lifestyles. That might be your conviction or this kind of thing. But sooner or later, we've got to say to ourselves, okay, let's get off this treadmill. Let's get off this more addiction. How much is enough? And if God gives me more, does he mean that I ought to increase my lifestyle? Does he give me more? Does that mean I should buy a bigger house or buy, you know, more toys or this kind of thing? And I'm not putting that stuff down. I, you know, we all got stuff we play with. But, but does that necessarily mean that? Or if he gives me more, maybe what he wants me to do is say, okay, Crawford, you're fine. You're fine right here. Stay here. Give the rest of it away. So the question is, when is enough enough? Enough. Most of us don't really need more, truthfully. Most of us could probably do with a lot less. A lot less. Well, 1 Chronicles chapter 29, this is a compelling picture of generosity. It really is. 
This is absolutely remarkable. Let me just give a little bit of the, of the backstory, the First Chronicles uh, 29. What's going on here is that David had in his heart to build this temple for the Lord. Well, God comes to David and says, no, no, buddy, I'm not going to let you do that. Uh, David, you shed a little bit too much blood. And now I, I, I told you to go into these wars, but I, I'm going to let your son do this. So your old business from your administration is the first order of new business for your son Solomon. But what the Lord did want David to do is prepare for the building of that temple. And so he comes up with detailed plans in terms of what the temple is to look like. And not only does he come up with the detailed plans, he also raises the resources for the temple. So Solomon... He just had to supervise the plan. The money was there, and the plan was there, and it was incredible. So you come to First Chronicles chapter 29, this is the remarkable story of lavish generosity. There are many ways in which you can approach this text, but I, I've chosen to approach it this way. I think in this passage, we see that generosity is based upon three crucial decisions. You, you, you might be saying, oh, oh. Generosity and decisions, generosity and decisions. Shouldn't generosity just be a natural voluntary response? Uh, yes and no. You've got to decide to be generous. And there are three fundamental decisions that you have to make. And I think we see these decisions in this passage as generosity is released through the people of God. Let me give you the three decisions and then we'll put a little meat on the skeleton. Number one, we need to decide that we give from what God has given us. Secondly, we need to decide to give willingly. And then thirdly, we need to decide that giving is an act of worship. Those are decisions that need to be made. And they, that sets the framework and the banks of the river toward generosity. Number one, we give from what God has given us. I think this is remarkable. You read verse, verse 3 here. David has called all the people together. The plan for the temple has been released. And now it comes time to give. But notice what David does here. Verse, verse, verse 3. David says, I, I have a treasure. Well, let me get in verse, uh, the top of the verse. Moreover, in, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house... I have a treasure of my own of gold and silver, and because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it my treasure to the house of God. You go, whoa. Now we know that David was, was an extraordinarily wealthy man. David was not a pauper, David did not live in government subsidized housing. He was an extraordinarily wealthy man. And here he says, out of his own personal treasure, what's been given to him, he's going to, he is going to give to the vision of the house of God. Now I'm going to make a couple of observations here based upon this verse that our giving should, number one, underscore what's most important to us. Giving always does that, though. Our giving, well, how we use money always tells the, tells the truth about our values. 
It always tells the truth about our values. We spend our resources on that which we feel at the moment is the most important thing to us, whether it's clothes, house, or whatever it is, our giving reflects what's most valuable to us. Now to David, what was most meaningful, what was most valuable, and I tip my hand, was what God said needed to be done. Wasn't about him. What ultimately was most valuable was what God wanted to be done. Secondly, under this banner that our giving, we give from what God has given to us is that uh, uh, our giving should serve as an example for others to follow. Here we have the principle of integrity. I, I love this about David. The only reason why David was called the greatest king that Israel ever had is because David was what I've said here a million times. This is the bottom line of all leadership. Leadership never has to do with a position on a box or, or titles or any of that kind of stuff that we give credence to. Leadership in the Bible means that you're the portrait of the desired destination. And David realized, I'm not going to ask these people to do anything that I'm not willing to do. If this is what God wants, then I've got to lead the parade. I've got to stand before them as an example. I've got to take what God has given to me and I need to push that on the table. And I'm not going to ask them to stand up if I'm not standing up. I'm not going to ask them to sacrifice if I'm not going to sacrifice. David's generosity was lavish and, lavish and served as a model, an example, and a catalyst for the generosity of the people. And I'm not saying this to be ostentatious here, but when we were building the student ministries building, before, before, before we marched in and we had a consultant and we come up with a plan for our people to give and, you know, the pie charts and to show all this stuff and what we wanted to do as we sat in the elders meeting, we looked around that table and all of us as elders said, we cannot ask these people to do one thing that we are not doing. So the first order of business is we're all in. We're giving sacrificially before we ask the people to do anything. And David understood that. I can't be disingenuous in this whole thing. This is of the Lord. I'm the leader. And the leader means that I model the destination. I use what God has given to me. And leaders will never see open-handed giving from the people if they are not willing to take the lead in this area as well. And that's in everything. I think even as church, I can't be asking you all to share your faith if I'm not sharing my faith. In the words of Howard Hendricks, the late Howard Hendricks, a leader can't, if a leader wants somebody to bleed, then they have to hemorrhage. So David takes his treasure. And by the way, interestingly enough, he doesn't ask them to take all of their treasure. He doesn't he give them amount. You'll see this in a few moments. He doesn't, he doesn't, this is no guilt trip with him or nothing like that. David just says, I have a treasure. I believe this needs to be done. I'm not asking you to do as I say. I'm asking you to do as I do. So here's my stuff. It's on the table. That's what I'm going to do. And I want to encourage you, if you lead anything, if you lead anything, your skills don't win today. Ultimately, your character does. It is who you are 
not your ability to articulate and dream and plan that gives credibility to your leadership. So he says, I'm, I'm all in. But also, you know, this verse in- indicates that giving from what God's given to me declares our stewardship. It declares our stewardship. You don't just talk it, you declare it. You, stewardship is something that you do. It's not just what you talk about. Stewardship is not just lodged in the how-to. We can tell it's just a how-to all the day long. We can give you all kinds of formulas and what have you. At the end of the day, stewardship is something that you do. It's what you give. It's how you respond. It's what you say. So David was willing to pay the price by his actions, and his actions became more eloquent than his words. I love, uh, Ron Blue is, I, I just love that man. Ronald Blue is, uh, is a living legend. Ronald Blue, uh, that may, name may sound familiar to you. Obviously, he's the founder of Ronald Blue and Company. That's now Ronald Blue Trust. And uh, in many ways, he has had an extraordinary impact on the whole issue of financial stewardship across the Christian world organizations, churches. I mean, it's just unbelievable the man's reach and influence. Recently, he was being interviewed. So the guy interviewing him said to Ron, Ron, you've written books and you've taught and you've made such a great impact in this area of stewardship. Can you just summarize your your life message? Well, thinking that Ron was going to give him like two or three paragraphs of what his life's message is about, I said, sure, I can do that in four words. God owns it all. God owns it all. We've said this a number of times already in this series, but I I just want us to, I want us to wrestle with this. Listen to me. You own nothing. I own nothing. Nothing. God owns it all. And David's example said, you better act like he owns it all. That's the reason why Wesley wouldn't let it stick to him. Because if he held it too long, it would become an idol. God owns it all. So we give out of what God's given to us. Generosity is not about the amount of what you have. Generosity is about giving freely from what you have. Did you hear what I said? If you're not generous with 10 bucks, you ain't gonna be generous with 10,000. You're not generous with $5, you're not gonna be generous with 500. Generosity is not the amount of what you have, but giving freely that what you do have. The second decision is that you give willingly. I love this. Verse 5 and verse 9. So David does this, and he gives out of his own treasure. And he, beginning in verse 5, we're picking up in the narrative. For all the work to be done by craftsmen, gold for the things of gold, and silver for the things of silver, etc. And then this line. Who then will offer willingly consecrating himself today to the Lord. 
Now, those, the juxtaposition of those words are very important. Who will give willingly, notice, consecrating himself today to the Lord? David takes himself out of the equation. Who's going to give willingly, consecrating himself to the Lord? Um, he says, first of all, we give from a holy, dedicated heart. Holy, H-O-L-Y. A holy, dedicated heart. Now, following his own sacrificial giving, David challenges the people to do the same. But to do it as unto the Lord, not unto me as the king. Don't do it because I've done it. Yeah, I want to be an example, but don't do this because I did it. Do it because you're aligned with God's heart. Do it because God's speaking to you. Do it out of a consecrated heart. That's the reason why I want you to do it. You see, we give from our heart, not from our checkbook. We give from here, not from our checkbook. You know, don't just, don't just sit down and write a check. You know, I, I raised support for many, many years, and, you know, in a way, you said do that now, but, you know, uh, anytime you're in Christian leadership, you're always raising money. And uh, I was on staff at Campus Crusade, and I never forget talking to a friend of mine that was uh, leaving staff and going into a pastorate, and he said he's leaving staff because he didn't like raising money. I said, you going to do what? Be a pastor. I said, you ain't seen raising money. And uh, so... You're always involved in some type of resource generation. There are times in which I'd have uh, support appointments in which I would share with someone and perhaps they had a lot of resources and I would share with them what our vision was and what we're all about and this kind of thing. And uh, there are a few times of the years where I would, be, I would hardly be done and the guy would go grab his checkbook and make out a check to Campus Crusade for Christ. But I got the feeling, I got the feeling he wrote the check because he could Not because he felt a heart alignment. I want to be transparent with you. I've been guilty of that myself. There have been a number of times in which we've gotten, you know, people going on missions trips or whatever. And, and, you know, um, and I'm, I'm ashamed to admit this. I've been very busy and I get the request and I say, you know, I say, well, I got 50 bucks. I got 100 bucks. So, okay, good. Let me do that. And then get convicted about that. You, 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 don't, you, don't, you, don't, you don't do that because you can. You pause. You pray. You think. And you give out of a, a holy heart. You give out of here, not out of your accounts. It's God's money. It's not like a bill at Walmart or, or whatever. So David says, look, I want you to give willingly. You, you, you give from a dedicated heart. You also give under this banner willingly. You, you, you respond to God, not to pressure. I love the fact that David takes the pressure out of it. 
And he realized, look, I know that you all don't have the same as I have, and I know that you can't do the same as I do. I'm not, that's okay. And I don't want you to feel any pressure whatsoever. I just want you to give willingly. I don't want, I want no, no kill trips here. Give willingly. Give willingly. In fact, that's repeated throughout the scriptures over in, uh, what is that, 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 7. The apostle Paul says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. If you have to frown and go through connections to let go of your money, keep your money. God doesn't need your money. If you're twitching and going through all the guilt hang-ups and this kind of thing, God says keep your money. You know, we should never be guilted into giving. We should never feel like, you know, uh, our arms have been twisted or if you don't give, things are going to fall apart and all this other kind of stuff. God compels us to give, but he doesn't beg us to give. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And if you don't give, he'll raise up 10 more people who will give. And so the issue here, and David says this, look, I want you to give willingly. Willingly. Respond to God and not to pressure. But this, there's a little implication here because what, 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 what needed to be done, David knew it was the will of God. God wanted this temple to be built. And he had the assurance in his heart, if God wanted to do it, then he'll pay for it. David is the one that wrote, I've been young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bed, begging bread. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And the issue in giving, and this is a leadership thing, and, and, and I've gotten convicted about this here at the church here lately. I'm going to say something in a second. Giving is a response to vision. Giving should always be a response to clarity. And it is the job of leaders in a church to know clearly where God is leading the church and what he's saying about what needs to be done next. So that when we give the appeal to God's people that this is the will of God rising up in the people of God. It's the spirit of God that says that's right. And we're compelled to give based upon the mission. I'm going to, I mean, listen to me. I'm going to go here with this. I, I, uh, in the last year, two years here at the church, we have been, there's been change and we've been getting our act in order and we've had consultants come in and new people have come and folks have left and we've been trying to right size the organization and this kind of thing. But now it's time to get out, to get out of that business. Organization does not move a church. Direction and clarity and vision moves the church. It is not how we're doing what we're doing that is the vision. It is the what we're doing that determines how we should do it. And so you're going to be hearing from us at the very beginning of the year. God is speaking to our hearts. The pieces have not come together just yet. But in January, we're going to be embracing, uh, embarking on a five-year plan. Not a five-year plan because everybody else is doing it. But vision in terms of how God wants this church to impact outside of these four walls and where we need to move and what we need to do. And the people rose up and gave because God had spoken. 
There's a call to direction. There was a call to execution. There's a call to movement. Where are we going? Where are we going? So they gave willingly. I love what J.G. McConville says in this, about this text. He says, people are closest to God likeness in self-giving. And the nearer they approach God likeness, the more genuinely and rightly they become capable of rejoicing. In other words, when we give to what God is doing, we experience freedom. Freedom does not come by hoarding what God gives us. Freedom comes by releasing what God gives us. That's where the true freedom is. Freedom doesn't come by more. Freedom comes by giving because we have a giving God. Our theology is anchored in a giving God, a God who sacrificed, a God who continues to give, a God who pours out grace and love and mercy on all of us. And that freedom is found when we release what God has placed in, in our hands. Um, and then thirdly under this banner is that we give without reservation or regret. Notice what he says down here in verse 9. He says, Then the people rejoiced because they had giving, given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. Notice the expression, whole heart, whole heart, whole heart, whole heart, whole heart. They came without reservation or regret. This is right. This is right. I give it. It is right. Someone said that the search for true happiness cannot be along the path of self-gratification. If we're using God's resources and we're the center of everything and everything's about more, me, 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 better, 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 more, 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 better, 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 more, 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 better, 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 more, more, more. How long is that going to last? How long is that going to last? Self-gratification and true happiness are contradictions in terms. They're contradictions in terms. Um, In fact, the accumulation of stuff can have a tendency to entrench selfishness and drain us of compassion. And that's what Wesley was saying. That's what he was saying. You know, how much is enough and more and that kind of thing. Again, please don't hear me saying that. This is not binary either or. God gives us great freedom. David was a wealthy man. Abraham was a wealthy man. And there were seasons in the Apostle Paul's life in which he enjoyed a whole lot of resources. In fact, he says that in Philippians. I've had plenty and I've been on the other side of that. So this is not the condemnation of, of the amount that you have. It's a whole attachment issue. The accumulation of stuff, when you cul-de-sac it, and it's all mine, and you become a warehouse in a museum, that's problematic. That's problematic. So when is enough enough? The third decision that we need to make is that we give as an act of worship. 
We give as an act of worship. This, this is found in David's uh, prayer here. And David is absolutely, undeniably blown away by the response of the people. In fact, the people gave too much. He, he just can't believe it. there was no pressure that he placed on them. They responded to the rightness of the vision. And they just kept giving and giving and giving. So David in his prayer just goes vertical and says, oh my word. And you see him saying in verse 14 that giving humbles our hearts and fills us with gratitude. Listen to what he says, verse 14. They gave and he says, but who am I? And what is my people? That's to be taken. I can't believe these people. We don't deserve this response. I don't deserve it. Who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? All of this, without guilting them, without manipulating them, Without, you're going to win a prize if you give X, X amount of money. We're going to have a brick with your name on it. None of that. Then he says, for all things come from you. And of your own have we given you. The lights come on in David's mind. He says in so many words. that we've all realized that what had been given to us you gave us to begin with you gave us the vision and you had already placed the resources in the hearts and hands of the people to take care of what you have called us to do hear me on that Whenever God calls you to do anything, he's always already provided the resources. The question is, will we release the resources that he provided? And you can be assured here in this church that whatever God calls us to do, if it's God's call, now sometimes we misread it, but if it's his call and if it's what it has his signature all over it, the money, the resources, they're already here. They're here. They're here. The question is not one of resources. The question is, are we going to release it and glorify God? And David says that's what they did. And, it, and it's not like he, he's not saying look at what we did. He's going look at God. Look at what God did in our midst. The resources are there. Well, this giving causes us, obviously, to glorify him even further. Verse 16 tells us, O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. And I, I know that almost sounds like a redundancy here, but I think he's saying something just a tad bit different. And I think what he's emphasizing, although the verse doesn't explicitly say it, it implies that we're to be unattached pilgrims traveling through this world declaring the permanence and the glory of our great God. 
You feel this in terms of how David is responding. That the one who's permanent is God. And what he wants done is eternal. And the job of every believer is to use the temporal and the temporary and transform that into the permanent and eternal. God wants us to use the world's mammon and resources and all this kind of stuff and transform those things into eternal, enduring impact for the glory of God. He wants my bank account to look like treasure in heaven. How I spend my money is to reflect where I'm going and not where I am. How I leverage the resources is to reflect what God wants done and not just my personal happiness. And so we glorify him by taking the temporal and transforming it into that which lasts forever. And this pilgrim mindset is throughout the Bible that we're just traveling through. We're just going through this place one time, one time, one time. Peter calls us pilgrims and sojourners in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. And so we are called to invest God's resources in what he's doing, and that in turn honors and glorifies him and it is true, it almost sounds like a cliche because Christians say this an awful lot. But it is true, we have to remember, only what we give to him will last. Only what we give to God will last. Now, you can talk to your financial advisor and hedge your money instead of trust funds and all this other kind of thing to protect it from this, to protect it from the IRS and all this kind of stuff and look at the markets and see on the international side of things, things are volatile. So change that over and kind of put more in this bucket over here. And you can play those shell games all you want, but in the end of the, at the end of the game, it's going to burn. It's going to burn. So if you're not using it, To advance the kingdom. Isn't that what Jesus said over in Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21? Lay not up for yourselves treasure down here where moth and rust and dust come through and corrupt, but rather lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where thieves cannot break through and steal. We've got to send it ahead. Well, how do we send it ahead? By listening to what God is doing for his glory and his kingdom and investing in that which is eternal. That's how we send it, send it ahead. You know, we misquote this verse so many times. Matthew 6, 21, we typically say that where your heart is, your treasure will be also. That's not how the verse reads. The verse reads, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Your heart always follows the money. Your heart always follows the money. So we need to make sure that the money's going in to that which is eternal, that lasts forever.
Well, let me just land the plane here by making five quick suggestions, and I'm going to click these things off. I sat back and said, well, you know, how do we cultivate this generosity? What, what do we do, practically speaking? Well, let me give you five quick suggestions. Number one is this, and I, I mean this. I mean this with all my heart. I, I believe that all of us need to sign the rights of our life and resources over to the Lord. I mean literally do that. If you're single or a couple, a couple, husband and wife, get down on your knees and pray out loud and say, Lord Jesus, you own it all anyway, but I need to say this out loud. I sign over the rights of every single thing in my life to you. That's where it all begins. The second thing that I would suggest that we do is that when you receive resources, make giving your first decision. You'll never incrementalize yourself into giving. I am not a fan. Some of my colleagues preach this, that if you're not tithing, we'll start with 2%. We'll start where you are. It's already this, this kind. I don't believe that. I don't think you'll ever incrementalize yourself into doing that. I think it's a faith decision. And I say this with credibility. We were, Karen and I were married when we were in college. My, my, my senior college, and we were poke because we couldn't afford the other OR. And we were broke, Jack. But I grew up in a household where my mother and father tithed. By the grace of God, we've been doing that all these 47 years. And I stand here to tell you that God is no man's debtor. So make your very first, give, your first decision whenever you get resources. Make your first decision giving. What you're going to do? Number three, get out of debt. Get out of debt. Now listen, debt in the Bible, I, some people I, you know, disagree with me on this, but I've read the scriptures here. Debt in the Bible is not necessarily sinful, okay? It, 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 it's not necessarily sinful. In fact, there are certain occasions in which debt can be leveraged and it's a wise financial decision on, in certain ways. But by and large, debt is unhealthy on a personal level. It's just unhealthy. You, you, you restrict yourself. You hear about needs, and now you feel guilty because you don't have margin. And Karen and I were there. We'd like every other, every other young couple, you know, your eyes are bigger than your appetite, and you, you know, you see things, you get this, and before you know it, you go, oops. But you need to be free. You need to be free to respond to needs and stuff that comes up, and you, you feel guilty because you can't give. Why? Because you... You got this payment on that, and you got to pay off this thing, and you bought this tank trinket and toy over here, and this kind of stuff, and you own up to you upside down on it. No, it's this whittle that away. Get out of debt. Number four, keep your heart open to needs. Ask God to make you sensitive to needs. We're driving in here this morning. Uh, Karen came with me today uh, early, and about quarter to six, she's looking at an email that she didn't look at last night, and we had a little extra money that came in just the other day, and, and so uh, we were trying to wrestle in prayer about what we're going to do with this, and as she read this email, as she's reading that, I glanced over and said, that's it. God wants us to give to that. Keep your heart open 
sensitive to needs. And then the last one is the way we started. Ask God to show you what is enough. What is enough? Ask him to do that. I'm going to ask David to come out and we're going to end the service again. This is not trickery or manipulation or pulling on your heartstrings or anything like that. But giving is always a response to God. Who knows? We might end up doing this every Sunday. But giving is a response to God. We respond to him. And uh, so as David comes, I, I want us to take the baskets uh, on the seat uh, underneath us. And I want to I say a prayer here. But then I just, even if we, I know most of us give online, and I got that, and you know, whatever. But as we pass the baskets, I, I want us to be visibly reminded that it all belongs to God. And I want you to think about the grace of God in your life and how good he's been to you. What he's given to you. And as you pass the baskets, think in terms of, Lord, what do you want to do more with what you've placed in my hands? Father, thank you for your goodness and grace and thank you for your mercy. Thank you that it all does belong to you. Lord Jesus, will you direct us? Will you lead us? Will you guide us? Will you help us to use the resources that you've given to us in a wise way? In Jesus' name, amen.